The second Bible reading tonight is taken from Matthew chapter 24 and I'm starting at verse 36 and I'm reading through to chapter 25 verse 13. So in some pew Bibles that's page 1037. So Matthew chapter 25 verse 36. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is this faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Good evening, friends. Uh, If you do not yet have an outline, do grab one. That will help you tonight. There's also a a full transcript of the sermon tonight. So if you find that helpful, there are some at the front as well. 
But if you do use one of those, don't read ahead at the jokes. Save the jokes and, and listen to me, okay? <laughs> Um, but uh, we'll pray again. Let's ask God for his help. It is an important passage in how we live today in preparation for the return of the Lord. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know that this word is for us and for our good as we prepare for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray, Lord, that tonight lives and hearts will be changed in response to what you tell us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, did you know, do you know this, that the world, our world, was meant to end on the 1st of January this year? Do you know that? It was predicted. didn't happen. That was according to one prediction by the Sword of God Brotherhood. Obviously, it didn't happen. But did you know this? There's another prediction. There's another prediction that says that the world will end in about two weeks' time on the 13th of May. This is according to some American. And if that doesn't happen in two weeks' time, on the 13th of May, there's another prediction. There's another one that says that our world will end on the 21st of August this year. Now, when I first saw that prediction and saw that article this past week, on that day there will be a solar eclipse, and that, according to this prediction, will herald the end of the world. And so when I saw the date, the 21st of August, I was personally thinking it would have been a lot nicer if the world ended on the 16th of August, five days earlier, because that would have been our anniversary, our 14th anniversary. And that would save me a whole lot of stress preparing for our anniversary. 14 years, and in our tradition, means 14 surprises. Imagine that, preparing that, one every year before we're married. I hope that will end then, but if it doesn't happen, there are more. But what are we to make of these predictions? How are we to think about it? You see, it's not a new thing. People have been predicting the end of the world since, since the beginning. Throughout human history, you have even Christians predicting the end of the world. You have monks, you have mathematicians, you have scientists predicting when the world will end, giving the exact date and month and year, predicting the return of the Lord Jesus, predicting the day of judgment. But of course, as we look at our passage today, that just baffles me why these people try. Our passage will make that clear why. But here are some of the predictions. So that's the three for this year. In 365 AD, the world was meant to end there, uh, announced by French bishop, didn't happen. In 793 BC, the world was meant to end again, prophesied by a, a Spanish monk. 1533 it was meant to end. It was meant to be Judgment Day, calculated by a mathematician. Didn't happen. In 1688, another mathematician thought the world would end according to his calculations from the book of Revelation. When that didn't happen, he, he recalculated. It was 1700. That didn't happen anyway. And then the Puritans even, in 1697, one guy, he predicted that the world would end then. When that didn't happen, he revised it to 1716. When that didn't happen, he revised it again to 1736. But he unfortunately died in 1728 to not find out whether the world ended then or not, but he didn't. Jehovah's Witnesses, they also made their predictions. Uh, 1914, didn't happen, revised it to 1915. Didn't happen, revised it again to 1918. And then 1920, and then 1925, 1941, 1975, 1994... 1997, I think they've taken a break from their predicting business. 
hasn't happened. Or another guy, an American, Harold Camping, he predicted that the world will end on the 6th of September in 1994. He, he was the general manager of Family Radio in the US, and so he did broadcast it on his radio. Didn't happen. He revised it again to the 21st of May 2011, that the rapture would occur on that day. Didn't happen, and then revised it again. So, so you see this trend throughout history. People making predictions when the world will happen, but it hasn't happened. And so what are we to make of all of this? Because you see, we do believe that the world will end, don't we? We know that there was a start when God created the universe, and there will be the end when Jesus returns in judgment. We do believe that, don't we? But are we meant to be predicting? Well, we do believe that the world will end, and that is the very next thing in God's agenda of salvation history. There is nothing left for us to wait for before the coming of Jesus. Now, if you remember from our talk, uh, the sermon last week, we are living in this period called the last days. We are now living in a period that is after the death of Jesus, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. We're also living in a period after the destruction of the temple. And so we're living in a period now where we're not waiting for any other big world event before the coming of the Lord Jesus. The, the, this whole period we saw last week, remember, was characterized by worldwide disturbance, churchwide disruption, worldwide evangelism, and churchwide deception. You see, that's what we see around the world today. All these things are happening. We're in the period of the last days. And so if we also do believe that the world will end, what are we to make of the end? When will it happen? Well, have a look at our passage. Jesus answers that in our very first verse. Keep your Bibles open. Jesus, in this very first verse, he says, Well, the world will end, and he will return. But don't even think about predicting when that will be. Look at verse 36. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And so when you read that verse, it just baffles me why all those guys throughout history will try to predict. How do they think they know if the angels themselves don't know, if Jesus himself did not know when he was on earth? And so any of those silly predictions are just nonsense. You don't believe it. You see, Jesus will return. The world will end. The world as we know it will come to an end, but it will happen unexpectedly. And that's what Jesus makes clear in our passage today. See, the return of Jesus will be just like how so many were caught by surprise during the time of Noah. That is what Jesus tells us now. Life was normal. People were just going around their daily business, going to work, going to school, doing their things, buying, selling. They had no idea of the coming judgment. Have a look, verses 38 and 39. For in the days before the flood... People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. You see, it's clear there, isn't it? It will be completely unexpected. You cannot predict it. As smart as you are, you can never predict the coming of the Lord. And so... You might just be doing your grocery shopping, buying veggies and fruit. You might be at the movies watching some you know, silly chick flick or something. 
and the return will happen. You might be playing soccer and you're going for that score and the return comes. You might be at the gym and it's your personal best, the, the biggest weight you've ever carried. It might be on your very first date and it's cut short. You might be sound asleep and the Lord comes. Or you might even be sleeping in the car like what Caleb and I did the last two nights. Now, if you're wondering, we did not get in trouble by Yvonne. We are on a camp somewhere and it was better in the car than in a cabin with snoring guys. But anyway. Or you might be entering for surgery, getting, getting your nose job or something and the return happens. You might be on the train. You might be on, a hol- on holidays. You see, when Jesus will return, and he will, it will be completely unexpected. That The point is clear, isn't it? And then that, that, that's what Jesus goes on to describe. Look at verses 40 and 41. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Now those verses... Do not teach some form of rapture. That's what many Christians do believe, that somehow Christians will be raptured up, taken, and then the others left behind to suffer. Now, now this is not to speak about some secret return of Jesus. I don't think that's what it's talking about, that somehow Christians will be taken away. Rather, it's actually just teaching the very same point we've been hearing, that when Jesus does return, we'll be just going about our daily, normal, everyday business, and it will be completely unexpected. You will not be ready for it. And so, just like in the days of Noah, Jesus also says, it's just like when a thief comes to steal. It will be when you least expect him. Now, I'm not, I'm not a very smart person, but I do know this. Thieves do not normally have the courtesy to warn owners of the home they're about to rob them. Thieves normally do not have that type of courtesy. And I'm sure many of you perhaps have experienced things stolen from your homes. But have you ever experienced this? You know, you're getting your mail. You've got your phone bills, your gas bill, your electricity bills, and all these other bills. But then you get this special letter, handwritten, to the resident of this property. You don't know me, but I'm a thief. And I plan to come tonight at 2 a.m., I plan to take a big TV, your jewellery, your money. I plan to take what I can. If you can just leave the back door open, it will just make it easier for me. Ever experienced such a thing? Of course not. It would be ridiculous if, if we were to receive such a thing. If I were to receive such a thing, I would be like, set up these Indiana Jones type of traps. Big rolling balls, poisonous snakes, spears flying, and I'll be holding the kitchen knife ready at 2 a.m. Obviously not, right? So the point is clear. The point is clear. The return of Jesus will be like a thief in the night. Jesus will come when you least expect him. Look at verse 42 to 44. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. It's clear, isn't it? Forget all these funny, silly, nonsensical predictions about the end. When Jesus returns, and he will, it will be unexpected. It can never be predicted. And so you'll be a fool to listen to guys like Harold Camping or the Sword of God Brotherhood. But many people do. But though the return of Jesus will be unexpected, 
It does not mean that we can't prepare for it. It will be unexpected. We won't know when it will come back, but it doesn't mean we can't prepare for it. And that's what Jesus goes on to illustrate. He's to help us here. See, if we are told here that Jesus will return and that it is imminent, he now helps us prepare for that. You make preparation for that. You stay alert. You stay watchful. You stay vigilant. That's the command of Jesus throughout this whole passage. And so Jesus here gives us two parables, very simple parables, one with two servants, one with ten virgins. The first one is about the two servants. Look at verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? So who is this wise and faithful servant? Well, the one who serves faithfully, responsibly. And so when the master does return, that's exactly what the master finds him doing, serving faithfully and responsibly. And he is given and entrusted with more responsibility. But then there's this second servant. He takes advantage of this delay. He's thinking like how many people think about the return of the Lord. My master is not coming back anytime soon. And so this guy, he beats up his fellow servants. He gets drunk with his mates. He's thinking Jesus is not going to come back. The master's not going to come back anytime soon. But then the master does when he least expects it. It reminds me of a time in my high school. Uh, I went to a boys' school on the western suburbs, a beautiful place, a different type of school to what many of the schools around here are like. We had a pretty crazy class of boys, I remember, in my early years of senior school, of high school. I remember each time, between each period, when the teacher's running late, there were always these few boys who'd be jumping off the tables, going nuts, going crazy, doing stuff I still remember visually and vividly that I cannot repeat here. But there was something that I'll repeat. One guy, one guy in the, you know, those portable evaporative cooler. It, it works in the summer. You put water in and it's meant to cool. Some guy urinated in it. Crazy guy. That's the school I came from. I came out pretty normal, I hope. <laughs> but when the teacher arrived, they will rush back to their seats but you see, the teacher was no fool to what was happening. You could smell it. Obviously, in that case, it was, it was bad. <laughs> you see, those guys, they were thinking, that the teacher's late. They took advantage of the delay. But that was what the servant did in this parable, hoping to get away with it. But here, do you notice, he was caught. Some of the boys in my classroom were caught doing those silly things. But this guy was caught. And notice what the, ser what the master did to this wicked servant. It wasn't just school detention. This is serious. Look at verse 51. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, this is serious stuff to be caught in that way. Not like getting into trouble from a teacher who catches you out. Nothing like getting in trouble from a parent who catches you out. To the unprepared, there is the wrath and judgment of God. The image here is not just of pain and agony being chopped into pieces, but it's an image of great despair and hopelessness. You see, weeping, 
weeping, crying out, but there's no help. Gnashing of teeth, but there's no reprieve. That, that's the Bible's way of illustrating, describing hell. Now, we, we never like to talk about hell, but that's the truth. That is what Jesus is describing. And so I wonder whether it gets us thinking. As we go about our daily business, our normal life, I wonder whether it gets us thinking, when Jesus does return, what will he catch me doing? Will he be pleased? Will he be impressed when he returns? I mean, just imagine, if and when Jesus returns, and he catches you looking yourself in the mirror, admiring yourself, not that any of you would do that, right? Imagine, at his return, he catches you listening to these this loud music with your friends and you're jumping up and down on the spot, shaking. Some people call that dancing, but that's what it is, jumping up and down on the spot and shaking. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but just imagine, will Jesus be impressed? Or, or, or you're in the middle of a fight with your husband or wife or parent or friend. That's what Jesus finds you doing. Or you're on the computer and you're clicking on sites you shouldn't be. Will Jesus be impressed? Makes you think, doesn't it? Will Jesus be pleased? Well, you see, the wise servant is the one who is faithful in service while he waits. Now, the second parable. It's about these ten virgins. Now, what happened in the marriage custom of those days was that the bridegroom would go with his close friends to the bride's home where they would have the wedding ceremony. And then after the ceremony, however long that would take, they would have a procession back to the groom's home. After dark, through the streets, where there will be the feasting, the wedding banquet. So it's on the trip back at night. And that's when the virgins, or the, the bridesmaids in a sense, would join the procession and assist the bride to the groom's home. They would hold lamps or torches to light up the way. And so this parable, there are these ten virgins. They know their task. They know what they need to do. They need to wait. They need to be ready. They know they need to have enough oil to get and to last the journey. But only five of them bring extra oil with them. We see this, verse 6. Five of them bring oil. But then at midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. They will wake up, trim their lamps, that is, light their, light their lamps, light their torches, ready to go. But the foolish ones. Now, the Greek word for, for fool here is, is the word, is the moros. And it's where we get the word moron from. So the fool is the moron. These foolish ones, they realized they didn't have enough oil for the journey. And so they didn't prepare for this delay, whereas the wise ones did. And so verse 8, we read, The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are running out. No, they replied, they may not be, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. And then we read on verse 10, But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. You see, there's a finality with what's happening here, the shutting of the door. And it might seem that the wise virgins here were being a bit harsh and selfish in not sharing their oil, but it's actually teaching us a point here. 
You see, preparing for the Lord's return is something that every individual must do for themselves. You can't make preparations for someone else, nor can you rely on someone else's preparation. It's making that point. I've got some close friends that we've been, we've been friends for many years, and, and many of these friends are not yet Christians, not yet believers. But they all know that I'm a minister, and they know that I want them to become Christians. I've shared the gospel with them many times. But one of my friends, he jokingly thinks this. He said it once to me, he said, well, when I meet God one day, when I meet your God one day, I'll just say, I'm with, I'm with you, I'm with John. Surely God will let me in because of you. You're a minister. But you see, the, the point of this parable is saying that that will not be possible. Everyone must make their own preparation. And now notice here the seriousness of being not prepared. Verses 11 to 13. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. And so the lesson is clear, isn't it? Be wise in preparation. Even if there's a delay, don't be the fool. Don't be that moron. And so we can see in our passage, it's quite clear. Jesus will return, but it will be unexpected. Therefore, be alert and keep watch. That's our passage for tonight. Now, if you compare tonight's passage to last week's passage, it's far easier to understand this passage, isn't it? But it's no less important. You see, if the very next thing in God's agenda for the salvation of this world is the return of Jesus, there's no other major event that we're waiting for. If the very next thing is the return of Jesus and that that will happen, that will come unexpectedly, then make sure you're prepared for that. The return might even be delayed. You prepare for it anyway. But of course the question now is, how do you prepare for such a thing? How do you prepare for the return of Jesus? How do you make sure that you're that faithful servant? How do you make sure that you're amongst the five wise virgins and not the fools? I mean, we prepare for things all the time, don't we? I know how to prepare for exams. I know how to prepare for a wedding. I know how to prepare for work. I know how to prepare for Sundays. I know how to prepare for... Uh, for holidays, I know how to prepare for for dinner. Uh, I'm actually not very good at preparing for dinner, but I know how to prepare for some other meals, like snacks. But how do you prepare for the return of the Lord? Is it to make sure that we're always meant to be doing the right thing, being good, so that when Jesus returns, he won't catch us in some dodgy business, doing some naughty things? How do you prepare for the coming of Jesus? Well, this other week, when I was preparing this series of sermons, I was in my office. Caleb, he came to my office, saw what I was looking at and researching on my screens, an article about the end of the world and pictures of the sun. You see, he, he just read not long ago a book about the solar system from school. And in that book, it spoke about the end of the world. The world will end when the sun explodes and gobbles up the earth. That was his language. I found that interesting. But I said to him, we know when the world will end. The world will end when Jesus returns. And so I asked my 
My, how old is he? Six, eight, eight. <laughs> yes, eight. <laughs> Eight-year-old boy. How do you prepare for the coming of the Lord? How do you come prepare for the return of Jesus? And his answer was simple. It was really a test to see if he knew. But his answer was simple. He said, by trusting in Jesus. And that's right, isn't it? You prepare for the return of the Lord by trusting in Jesus. Because by trusting in Jesus, that's how you are right with God. That is how you are right with God. You trust in Jesus, both Saviour and Lord. You see, he's Saviour because he already came that first time. To live the life we can't, to die the death that we should have, to bear the punishment we deserve. He came that first time to be our Saviour. But he is also Lord, who was raised to life again and now rules as King from heaven. He is Lord. How do you prepare for this day that is unexpected? Well, you prepare by receiving Jesus as Saviour and submitting to Jesus as Lord. Now, that is how you prepare. It can happen any time, his return. That is how you prepare. And so if Jesus was to return tonight on our way home, he could, if Jesus was to return tonight, for those of us who are prepared by trusting in Jesus, then we are prepared. We're prepared to meet our Saviour with nothing to hide. If Jesus was to return before next Sunday's sermon, we'll be prepared if we, are, if we have trusted Jesus. We'll be prepared to meet our Saviour. If Jesus was to return in three years, ten years, fifty years, how do I prepare? I prepare by trusting in Jesus. I never turn away from Jesus. I continue trusting in Jesus. Whether his return is soon or delayed, I am prepared. And so there's no need to predict anything, you see. Predicting things is a bit like, you know how people only slow down when there are speed cameras, trying to do the right thing at speed cameras? They're not really prepared, are they? They're not really being good citizens. You're prepared by trusting all the time, not just knowing the end and then trying to trust then, because that will be a fake one anyway. And so tonight you all have to ask yourselves, you have to ask yourself, are you prepared today? Are you prepared now? You see, this is something that shouldn't be put off. I know many of you have been coming for quite a while. You've heard of the gospel of Jesus, and many of you, I know, do understand it. Then don't put it off. Make tonight the night where you do receive Jesus as Saviour and submit to him as Lord. Be prepared that way. And if you do, if you do, please do speak to myself or to Chris and let tonight be the night where you are prepared. You see, this is too important. The consequences are too serious. The judgment will be final and the door will be shut forever. Now, it's worth us trying to sense, trying to feel the finality of that. When Jesus returns, that is it. That is it. The door will be shut you see, when it happens for those of us who are prepared, it will be a glorious day. The wait is over. It will be glory forever, us into the arms of our Father forever. When that day comes, I can assure you, whatever plans you had in this world, even if you were planning to get married, that new job, that new house, whatever that might be, you will not miss it. You will not miss it if you are prepared for that day because that day will be far greater. And for us who are prepared... We continue to be prepared by trusting in Jesus. 
we prepare with this restless patience. We're restless because we want it to come. We long for it. But we're patient because we know that it will come. But you see, for those of us who are unprepared, that day will be the total opposite, a terrifying day. Cast out with the hypocrites where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Your opportunity to enter the kingdom will be lost forever. No more chance. Now, I don't know about you, but I suspect for some of us here, it just feels like we have all the time in the world. Let's put it off a bit longer. Let's put it off a bit longer. It's hard to make sense that that will be the end. It's hard to make sense of the finality of it all when Jesus returns. But I found this helpful. Recently, I heard this poem. A poem written in 1894, and it was put into a hymn, written by uh, a guy by the name of Bertram Shaddock, who was in the Salvation Army, later became a Methodist minister. And he titled this poem, The Great Judgment Morning. It goes like this. It's a long one, but it's worth hearing. I dreamed that the great judgment morning had dawned, And the trumpet had blown. I dreamed that the nations had gathered to judgment before the white throne. From the throne came a bright shining angel, and he stood on the land and the sea. And he swore with his hand raised to heaven that time was no longer to be. And oh, what a weeping and wailing. As the lost were told of their fate, they cried for the rocks and the mountains. They prayed but their prayer was too late. The rich man was there, but his money had melted and vanished away. A pauper stood in the judgment. His debts were too heavy to pay. That great man was there, but his greatness, when death came, was left far behind. The angel that opened the records, not a trace of his greatness could find. The widow was there with the orphans, God heard and remembered their cries. No sorrow in heaven forever. God wiped all the tears from their eyes. The gambler was there and the drunkard and the man that had sold them the drink with the people who gave him the license together in how they did sink. The moral man came to the judgment, but self-righteous rags were not due. The men who had crucified Jesus, had passed off as moral men too. The soul that had put off salvation, not tonight, I'll get saved by and by. No time now to think of religion. At last, they had found time to die. And oh, what a weeping and wailing, as the lost were told of their fate. They cried for the rocks and the mountains. They prayed but their prayer was too late. That will be the last day, that great judgment morning, when Jesus returns unexpectedly and the door will be closed off forever. Will you make it in? Are you prepared today? Or will you miss out? And whatever prayers you pray that day, will all be too late. Well, my prayer and our prayer is that you make this the day. Do speak to me or Chris tonight. Let's pray.